I'm Nick Filardi. I'm Jason Thielbar. Welcome to the world's second finest podcast. Welcome to the Two Read Pile. As always, Amazon affiliate links are below. Hit up your local comic shop. And this show with art about what we're talking about will be available on youtube.com slash nickphil in about a week after it airs, after uh, it airs within the podcast apps of your choice. We're going to shuffle around. Usually I ask you what you're reading first, Jason, but today you're going to ask me. And here's the thing. I, I wrote a bit, so I need you to ask me so I can't just barrel into it. So, so Jason, will you ask me what I'm reading on the to-read pile? Nick, what are you reading on your to-read pile this week? What was I reading? A question like that could get you killed in this town, and I think Jason knows it. But he was blessed with legs that go all the way up, which usually get him out of trouble. Trouble sticks to me more than I'd like to admit, and less than I'd like. I was shocked to see him in the office. Two days earlier... I had Johnny Boy take the nickel-plated 45 and follow him. I hadn't heard back from Johnny, but an officer was nice enough to let me know they found him dead at the Wayne family construction site down in the mud, shot in the back. What'd you ask me again? I mused as I opened my desk drawer. What, 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 what you reading, Nick? Which was on the to-read file? The 45 was usually in the drawer, but the only thing that clinked against the desk drawer was the other thing I could count on. A bottle of Pappy Van Winkle bourbon. Good for disinfecting wounds, better for forgetting how they happened. I pour myself a belt of bourbon. It'll help me answer the question. I don't read in this town, you know that, Jason. Jason smirks. Readings for nerds. Jason reached into his coat pocket and produced a flash of violence. The 45. He had it the whole time. I'm surprised I didn't smell it on him. He's soaked in the blood of this two-read pile. Blood that would never wash off. Fine, Jason. I read Gotham City Year One. <laughs> so I read Gotham City Year One. Uh, nice. It's, nice. It's, uh, Got into it. A crime noir. Uh, it's written by Tom King, penciled by Phil Hester, inked by Eric Gaps- Gapster, uh, colored by Jordi Belair, lettered by Clayton Cowles, um, they uh, all did the collection and the cover art and stuff. Uh, it's gorgeous. It's about um, oh man, I haven't read a Phil Hester book in a while. Fucking a dude, Phil Hester blew the doors off this thing. It is so well done. And I actually uh, was emailing Jordy about the colors a little bit. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. Let me tell you about what the book's about. Um, yeah. It's a Slam Brady crime noir book which is Slam Brady, for anyone who doesn't know, is a minor character that shows up in the DCU as like a private detective. Um, Usually he's like associated with Catwoman in some capacity. Like she'll lean on him occasionally when she needs help or like a second pair of eyes or whatever. Like she needs to do something, but she's got to keep eyes on another target. She'll ask Slam. Slam's kind of like from the old neighborhood kind of thing. And mostly in DC books, he's like, an older man like gray you know like uh, uh, like one of the old hard-boiled detectives from forever ago that is now a private dick kind of thing 
And yeah, like a like a uh, like a Sam Spade kind of character, almost like sure, just sure, little little grizzled, little still kind of handsome, but kind of beat up is how he's yeah. usually, yeah, yeah. Um, so this book is about he's younger, and it's Gotham City Year One, and Gotham is not the Gotham that you think it is. It is extremely safe. People don't lock their doors. Less crime, less murders than Metropolis per like one one hundred thousand people or whatever. Um, but like simmering under the surface of a lot of towns in the fifties or whatever uh, is a lot of violence that's happening, and like that's how the town is quote unquote safe. It's because. Like basically the police are running unchecked violence and there's a uh, segregation that's happening in Gotham. And it, this whole story follows the Wayne's grandparents, Batman's grandparents. Batman shows up in two panels in this whole thing. It's basically a crime noir all the way through. And it's the, the framing device around it is slam talking to Batman being like, you know, I don't want to die knowing this story like is hanging over me. So I'm going to tell you because I know that you appreciate Gotham the way I appreciate Gotham. You, you see it for what it is kind of thing. And so the story is about this woman comes to slam and she's like, deliver this letter to the Waynes. And he's like, what's in it? You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, he doesn't, you know, she doesn't tell him and he he brings it to the Waynes and um it turns out that the Waynes have uh lost their child that like they're it's she's gone missing and they don't know what's going on and um slam tries to track down the woman who gave him the note to try to like find her and there's a a kidnapping like like money thing going on and I don't want to like spoil anything for you because like after it's six issues and after three issues, it kind of like twists and then just keeps twisting as it goes in like, nice. like we were saying in the previous pod about um, the Batman issue having a lot of velocity to it. The first three issues kind of set it up. The back three issues are like nonstop payoff. So I don't want to spoil too much of it. If you think you might be into a good murder mystery crime noir thing, I would suggest picking it up. The other reason why I would suggest picking it up, Phil Hester fucking crushed it. Like, it's so fucking good. He is so smart and like so good at laying out pages and and like drawing in a way that like nobody has replicated and no one can replicate. It's like this half step between graphic design and cartooning and it just works. It's, it's so good all the way through. And, That's uh, Jordy, very good description of, of his style. Jordy ends up, um, I asked her cause I was, I just coincidentally was also reading some Batman year one. Um, uh, Kelly famously, uh, drew that Frank oh. Miller wrote it. And, um, Oh, Oh, I'm forgetting the, the colorist Richard something. Um, at any rate, one of the best of all time. 
Uh, I have the absolute edition and coincidentally we were talking about um, color because that apparently I don't know if you okay so I don't know if you know this Jason the issues came out and they were they were uh, colored and hit print and they were done and then DC was like this is a prestigious thing and we're going to turn it into a trade paperback and that was at a time in the 80s when there was not a lot of trade paperbacks right so they're like we're going to print it on good paper. We're going to get um, the colorist to do another color pass. So he actually got to color it again for the trade paperback. Now, that's probably what you and I read is, is that that color version. Um, there's oh su- subtle differences throughout, but it's all a very like grainy, painted, uh, dark, like the place feels sinister and and like yeah. desaturated um and beautiful but sinister and then uh something like a few years ago 2012 maybe i don't know at some point recently com- recently compared to when batman year 1 came out <laughs> um yeah they decided to just recolor it. Like if you go and buy the Amazon trade right now, it'll just be another recoloring. And David Mazzucchelli oh. has gone on record to be like, this fucking sucks and I hate it. Like, please don't buy this. <laughs> um, well, I, ju- I just looked up the... the. There's an absolute version that has all the regular coloring in it. Both versions of the coloring that, that the original colorist did. And... They're about to put out a uh, artist edition of David Mazzucchelli's Batman Year One. That's like oversized scans of the boards. Ooh. That's like about to drop. Ooh, Ooh I'm so, getting that. I'm, so I'm totally getting the, that. This is the reason that I was like, I, I was like, I, I kind of had that in my mind because I was thinking about that stuff just recently, and then I read Batman or I read Gotham City Year One, and I was like. Is Jordy pulling, pulling, you know, uh, <laughs> pallets out of Batman Year yeah. One? Are we are we nodding at each other like with these books? Like, is that what's happening here? So I emailed her and I was like, "Hey, I read Gotham Year One. I really liked it. One of the things that she does that I complimented her on was that um, Gotham City Year One gets dark without being too dark. Like when we talked about." Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, what is it? The Last Ronin or or Yeah. What was yeah, it? Is yeah, that what yeah. it was called? Yeah, yeah, because I because I, I picked because I think you brought it to the pod and I had picked it up a few weeks ago and we were like mm. talking about it. I don't know if I, I I don't know if I brought it up on the on the on the show. I think you did though. I think you brought the book. Yeah, yeah. I first of all, that book's great. Uh but there's a lot of parts where it gets clearly printed too dark and the colorist just went too dark with it trying to make a dark scene and it like muddies the action and that kind of thing um gotham city year one manages to ride that line expertly like jordy did such a great job of creating dark ominous rooms without ever feeling like i can't see what phil's doing so the whole the whole thing just reads so well to to uh, what it was made. It, it's just like, you know, two professionals just cooking, you know, 
and it's oh, just yeah. it, it's just absolutely beautiful to see. Um, for the record, I was like, "Hey, are you pulling from uh, Batman Year One?" Because that would be kind of kind of like an interesting way to do it. And she was like, "Not really," but she's been um, studying a ton of Lynn Varley stuff. Mm. Uh, so she was she was uh, a lot of like um, Lynn did uh, three hundred and. Um, well, she did Dark Knight uh, well, Returns. She Dark Knight did, Returns, but, yes. That was what I because, was thinking. Yeah. Well, because she, she was ma- for a long time married to, but also like Frank Miller always enjoyed like their creative, like really, right. you know, he, right. he he always loved the way she colored uh, his his work. And she she does always, she's had such as like, to me, I just always think of uh, warm uh, when I think of Lynn, Lynn Varley. And like, and when I think of her, it's, it's always some sort of, there's like a, this like humming kind of warmth. Uh, that she gets yeah. with her colors. That's like, it's, it's, it's this like half watercolor, half oil kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah kind of yeah. thing that like is really distinctive. And I really like it too, you know, and it's yeah, really, um, like, she also colored or she colored his, uh, Electra year or Electra lives again. Um, that daredevil book, which is so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Can't say yeah. enough good things about Lynn. And about Jordy, like they both yeah. uh, do great work. It, and I just looked it up and uh, Richmond Lewis, this is from the Wikipedia. Richmond Lewis is an American Richmond. painter who were, yeah, who worked briefly as a comic book colorist. She is married to comic book artist David Mazzucchelli. Coloring was a sideline from her main career as a painter and occurred mainly oh, wow. because Mazzucchelli wanted to bring Lewis into his world. Wow. Not only yeah. did I misname i also misgendered i am so sorry (laughs) (laughs) oh i'm but her work is excellent uh i love it i this makes total sense now why david well they why they recolored it without telling david and then david found out and was like do not buy that issue (laughs) don't buy those books (laughs) yeah fuck you what are you doing uh also uh batman year one is getting re-released in single issues uh, currently in, in modern. They're, they're, they just decided to like put them out monthly uh, one after the other. And oh, cool. uh, I, I put them in my pull box, but I haven't had a chance to go up there and get it yet. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what coloring is in there because yeah. who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah. I, I still, you know, I'll, I'll still always contend that like, I just, all I ever want from, uh, old comic books that are republished is I just want a remastering of the color. I don't want it all redone. I don't just little bits of touch ups here and there. And on Reddit, somebody was just talking about how Starfire reads differently if you read her in single issues than if you read her in uh, uh, trade paperbacks because it's. Like the paper makes all the difference. And that's what that's really what we're talking about here. They don't change any of the color, but the paper is slightly brown, which comes through all the color versus like a stark white glossy, like, Mm. you know, very nicely printed version. And uh, you're right. It it, like it changes Starfire's skin from like this uh, very golden, like sun kissed. almost unreal alien skin 
to like just straight up orange. Like she's just straight up orange in the reprints. Yeah. Yeah, because like I don't know what kind of um I don't know the process of making the kind of paper stock that they use for like like the nicer print, but from like making paper for a long time, I know that um because the kind of paper I made was a uh, paper board and it had a top to it because boxes were supposed to be made out of it. And, yeah. and the top on it was, was a coating and the coating part, part of the coating, the most expensive part was liquid titanium and liquid titanium oh, wow. is actually, well, it's in a lot of paints and stuff. It's really, really common yeah. in a lot of paints. And, and the reason is because it, you put it into anything and into any color and that liquid titanium itself, like it'll blend with whatever, but, um, it just automatically reflects like so much light. So, so everything like, becomes vibrant and yeah, yeah. Yeah. So people love like printing on it. And so like, maybe because it's like, yeah, a higher grade of stock, it's maybe it's not like liquid titanium, but like something like something that, close. that automatically yeah. yeah, makes any kind of ink you put on it just sort of like gives it, it's, it's like, like higher crazy. end. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was talking about this on on Reddit and I I was explaining exactly what was going on because somebody was asking about coloring and I was like, oh, shit, I know about this. You know, I'm like what you're seeing is, you know, when it's zero percent ink, you have brown paper versus zero percent ink when you have white paper. It's like that's the difference. You're seeing the paper. Um, yeah. And and I was saying that, like, I like you, I would love for all this stuff to be lovingly restored. However, like when you, the reason that that doesn't happen is not because there aren't like, I would, I would be happy slotting in restaurant one book to restore every single month for like the next 40 years. I would be happy to do it for DC or Marvel. But the thing is, is that the sales for reprints of old comics are extremely narrow, extremely small. Mm. Like, you're yeah. talking about a fandom within a fandom, kind of within a fandom. So yeah. they don't they yeah. don't sell well enough in order to like hire me to lovingly restore, you know, issues forever. So it's it's like I get it from a business perspective. Like they just want to hit print and be done. But at the same time, there are some things that should be lovingly restored. The Batman Year One Absolute Edition that I have has both sets of colorings that Richmond is the uh, colorist yeah, Richmond name? Lewis. Richmond, yeah, Richmond Lewis. Lewis. So yeah. she did. There's both sets of coloring featured in the Absolute Edition in two hardcovers. And the first hardcover from the first coloring that she did is actually on newsprint. It is a hardcover newsprint version with the letters like as it appeared and then the other one is like the graphic novel as it appeared and i'm like yes if you're not going to reprint it or if you're not going to restore it like just print it on newsprint just give me newsprint again yeah we love comic books you know you and me love comic books. clearly we we also love movies right and yeah. it used to be that like those were like cheaper mediums, you know, like the reason oh, why, yeah, <laughs> like, like the reason why, like, like Martin Scorsese, like explains like his sort of origin of like loving movies is that 
he was uh, uh, always sick as a kid. And so like, he couldn't, he's always sick and undersized. So like he couldn't like play with the other kids and he wasn't tough. And so like he spent all his time in the movie theaters, but like, it's yeah. like, yeah, because it was like, it costs like 10 or 20 cents to see right. a, a, a movie, you know, which was still like pretty cheap at the time. It still wasn't like all that expensive, yeah. but like, man, you're like a hardcore, like cinephile. If you, if you, and you're spending a lot of money, if you go to see one movie a week, you know, like out right. in the theater. Right. Yeah. It, you know, yeah, and, the, and the like, last movie, the last movie that I went to the theater with, uh, Shannon and I went and saw the first Wonder Woman that came out because she wanted to see it. And I was like, hell yeah, let's go. It'll be great on the big yeah. screen. And I probably spent like 45, 50 bucks between the tickets and the snacks and everything. I was just like, holy shit, they cleaned me out. Like, yeah, yeah. And and like and I love and, and don't get me wrong, like I love like like. Uh, like when I go visit uh, our good friends Brian and Emily uh, in, mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, like they they have an Alamo Draft House that's like, you know, not even a block away maybe from from their apartment, and so like we'll go see movies there all the time, and it, it's a great like venue. It's a great little theater, and like it's a fun like experience. And um, but it's like I don't. Like the thing I enjoy the most about it is watching the movie with my friends, like the kind of like, right. Like the size of the seats and that I can get like a full meal there and like a beer or something is like, is it's great. That's cool. But like, I I want, I I like watching everything everywhere all at once with like two of my favorite people. Like, you know, right. You're, you're missing the community without seeing it in the theater. Yeah, yeah. And, it, yeah, and it just gets so expensive, and like, and comic books have just gotten so expensive. Same way, same way. Yeah, I, I don't know if I brought this up before, but uh, my buddy Chad, he was talking about how when he was a kid and there was a crossover event, he would, uh, you know, get the main books that he was like interested in, and then like, if because of the event, he'd be like, "Oh, I'm gonna try out these other books because they're." Like at the time it was like, you know, the uh, late eighties, early nineties. And he was like, every book was like a buck 50 or whatever. And he was like, I could just, I could just try some shit out, you know, and be like, Oh, maybe there's something that I'll like in here and maybe I'll pick it up on a regular basis. And it's like, nowadays you cannot do that. Like every single book is like five to $7 and it's like, Oh my God. Like I can't just add five more books on the pile and not sweat it. You know, it just doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. It's, it's why I've gotten so used to just like waiting for a trade. And even if I don't mm-hmm. like it, even if I spend $20 and don't like it, I'm like, well, okay, fine, whatever. I'll move on to, you know? Yeah. I, a, a, another to thing. circle back, to circle back a little bit. To Gotham Year One. Yeah. Uh, first of all, highly recommended. But one of the, there was something that was ringing in my ears from the last two read pile that we did when I was like ranting about television, and that's uh, something you said to me, which was, uh, "You're like, I'm sure Andor is very good, but I can get that story with the Star Wars stripped out in a better package." like a a more engaging for me as an adult package. And 
I was thinking about that while I was reading this because I was like, this is a great crime noir, but it's like they're leaning a little bit on like showing you what Gotham is and how it turned into the way it was. The way that we see Gotham now is like this violent, terrible place. Um, and I'm like, would this book be better with that stripped out? I don't think it necessarily would because it is about Gotham, but I was thinking like, how does this stack up against like murder me dead or criminal or something like that? Like other crime noir comics, goldfish, uh, like how does it, how does it stack up against that? Those kind of books. Um, if you strip out the Batman, like those books are probably better than this book. However, I do think there's merit to stuff like this because I was listening to, um, or I was reading something in the last like week. So like that thoughts pinballing around in my head of like, you know, like I is, is it, is it better to, to, to strip out the Batman and just have a crime noir and just make the crime noir great? Or is it better to have a Batman crime noir, you know, because like clearly I'm a fan of both. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What I think happens with something like Andor or something like Gotham City Year One is you it's like a gateway genre piece, whereas somebody who would never check out a crime noir book who was only reading Batman stuff is very narrowly focused might let Gotham City Year One slide into their pile and they might get exposed to a crime noir and they might fucking like it and they might read Murder Me Dead. They might start picking up Criminal. They might start, you know what I mean? Like it's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the same thing with Andor. Like they, they might watch Andor and be like, oh, man, this resistance murder story is like super fucking fun. Like, I bet I can find some other stuff out there with like spies and stuff, you know, and, and find uh, better movies or better series than, than Andor, but they're happy that they watched it because it's like a gateway into that genre. Um, and I feel like Gotham city year one is that if you want to get into crime noir, you don't know where to start and you love Batman, like Gotham city year one, no brainer, pick it up. Oh yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's honest. That's honestly like a really, that's a really good point. Um, and, and like, and I guess like most of like my, re- I, I, I know that's just like my personal reaction to that. of oh, Like I, why I yeah, just don't, yeah. you know, why I just don't care. It, and, and honestly too, though, like, and you're making me think about it. It's that like, I think it's more that it's the, um, I, like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me that it's sci-fi and like a uh, a resistance story because like i love that shit like battlestar galactica is like one of my favorite shows ever and i just love and i love science fiction too you know and it can be many things so it's not like a genre thing it's just the property thing but no but but you're right that is that 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 is that's a really good like like if you're not sure that you would like these maybe like grittier it's like like stories or it's like a way to like dip your toe in without like really like really throwing money at it or really throwing time into it. It's something that can very casually slip in and and like kind of welcome you to a new thing. Yeah. 
plus I will say, I think it's like, I, I think the other thing too, is that like, it's at least like, it's at least interesting. The premise of uh, Gotham city year one. Yeah. That's an interesting thought of like, you know, what was, what was Gotham? Like, what was this like in our imagination? Cause like Tom King is like, he's about our age, right? Maybe a little bit older, yeah. but like not, not too yeah. much. But Tom King's probably, you know, sitting there thinking something like, well, all we know about Gotham for the entire history that Batman's been around is that it's just like crime everywhere. And every story about Gotham has just been like, just seedy underbellies under every like corner, you know, around every corner. Well, right. what if it wasn't always like that? And like, you know, let's, wouldn't it be interesting to look into like just before everything went right. to hell and like, yeah, the, was it- the, the thesis of the thing is like slam talking to Batman and being like, you think you're trying to save Gotham city and you don't realize it was fucked before you were born, you know? And yeah. like, this is why this is why, like, even though you're fighting the tide, like you can't, you like, there needs to be, I, I think the, the, the whole point of it is that like slam is telling Batman this not to be like Batman, you're an idiot for doing this. He's like, Batman, this need, there needs to be systemic changes like top down before something like this gets fixed. Like we own like not to be, not to go all racial ghoul on us, but like we almost <laughs> need to just wipe it, wipe it off the map and start over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, start start from a clean slate. Like you're not you're not just gonna fix this by like punching the right people or right, right. You know, or or, or building another like you know Wayne Enterprises like orphanage or some shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's quite a bit uh, deeper than than that. Yeah, totally. Anyway, Fuck yeah, man. Gotham City Year One. Mm. Highly recommend it. I think it's on the app too because it's been out for a while. Um. Also, Batman Year One, a classic. Oh, buy it. Look, and buy everything by David Mazzucchelli. If you see David Mazzucchelli's Buy Rubber Blanket, I need to buy Rubber Blanket again. I love David Mazzucchelli. I think yeah. I've mentioned it before. I wrote to, I wrote him a yeah, letter you did. when I was 13. <laughs> and he so, he so generously wrote me back. And like an idiot, I lost it in the ensuing years. Yeah, you but did not realize at 13 that you would want to hold on to this when you were 45 or whatever. Yeah. Well, I did I did have it for a while through a couple of moves. It just like, mm-hmm. you know. Just, yeah. Just one yeah. of those things, but oh god, rubber blanket was such it was so good. Um yeah. Just buy anything by Dave Mazzucchelli. Yeah, buy it. Uh Batman Year One, uh Daredevil Born Again, uh another banger uh rubber blanket of course is indie comic work um he has that other very odd book that i have bought but i haven't read yet um it's like astrilos polyp or something like that yeah I've, oh that book's amazing dude that book's so good it's about it's yeah, about I know. an architect i it know has- i know and i know he plays with the idea of like sequential art in really interesting ways in that book oh, i yeah. know Jason, I know it and I know it's going to be a meal and I just I've I've yet to sit down to the table. 
It it also has, and this has nothing to do with the story. It's just one of my favorite lines ever. And as someone who spent a lot of his youth having a lot of fun in the city of Providence, Rhode Island, but yeah. when uh, the main character uh, meets his love interest and and she's like, oh yeah, I went to a school in Providence, Rhode Island, obviously referring to RISD. And he goes, oh, Providence, the city that always sleeps. <laughs> and I'm like, ooh, burn, burn. What a good line. Uh, that is what a good a line. Good fucking line. Yeah. Holy so shit. So Jason. Yeah. What are you pulling off the two read pile? I am pulling off a two watch. Uh, I've been, I've just been like mainlining uh, YouTube videos, mostly from this chan channel, this uh, guy, Patrick Willems, who, or Willems, I, th I think it's Willems. Uh, but he, he mostly does uh, video essays about movies and I've watched a bunch and I, I'm not going to list all the ones that I'll recommend. I'll just say like, go to his YouTube channel. He does have a lot of, um, you know, they're, they're, they're typical video essays, but he does have these, uh, reoccurring storylines in like each season, which I always really appreciate. Like there's a lot of work and care like put into it. They're like, you know, um, I say this very lovingly. It has a lot of like a really good, like theater kid energy, you know, like yes, you can tell it that it definitely like, does. Yeah. And, and, and it's really well done too. And you can just sort of tell that like everyone involved in it is just like, you know, they're having fun with their, their friends, you know, right, which is right, like, right. Which is great to see. But I, I want to specifically recommend he has a two parter on the entire career of uh, Francis Ford Coppola. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't I haven't checked that one out. And it's set around uh, he uh, he recorded it a few years ago. And apparently a few years ago from a Coppola winery, which um, is pretty decent wine, actually, you know, kind of can't go wrong with it. If you don't know anything about wine and like they're decently priced, <laughs> like, like seriously, they're like, is this, you know, is this the a bottle wine of podcast Coppola. now? Hey, I don't know that much about wine. So like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know what? We're getting older, Nick. This might turn into sideways oh, pretty soon. God. I might have to start having strong opinions sideways. about <laughs> or either that, or I'm just going to sing, um, the song from unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt that Titus sings that I sing all the time. Whenever I get Pinot Noir, oh, Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir, <laughs> <laughs> mid-sized car caviar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but it's centered around, uh, apparently for $800, you could buy this, uh, case of special edition called director's cut. Um, uh, bottles of wine and it would also come with a copy of the script for francis Ford coppola's movie the conversation signed by the man himself and also um at one point like whoever bought this 800 box could uh jump on like a zoom call conversation with francis Ford coppola and you got to like ask him a question you know oh wild that's which, cool which like yeah, which like looking at all that you got from it, I'm like, honestly, not that bad for eight hundred dollars. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, especially if you're if you're really into his movies and and are dying to ask him a question. Yeah, he's like not exactly like on Twitter, you know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but it was just going through uh, his whole career. And I do I am a big fan of Francis Ford Coppola, but I'm also more of a fan of like. um 
people like him where there's just this the insane success that he had and then the insane loathes that he had yeah 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 and and how he just sort of maintained uh throughout is just uh has always fascinated me and so it was really great uh it was really cool to to watch that and it's it's really like uh, a loving it's a lovingly done portrait and like history of of like his career and what hollywood was like in the 70s and then what hollywood was like afterwards and like sort of because of what hollywood was like in the 70s why like you know the <laughs> 80s happened um and uh and it's just told with this like and it's really smart and like honest too like he doesn't like paint uh francis ford coppola as this like perfect guy y- you know yeah um, i think the um there's a uh the flip side of this is i watched he did a retrospective on kevin smith and it was like extremely fair like there was stuff that he really liked in kevin smith stuff stuff that he was nostalgic about and then there was like stuff that he was like this is bad you know, like, or like, this is what I think Kevin Smith is doing as he's entering this yeah. stage of his career. Um, he, uh, in that retrospective, uh, which, which I think is great. Cause like, I'm not interested. Like I haven't seen a Kevin Smith movie in a long time, but I'm also like not super interested in bashing him because it's like, I was like, kind of into his stuff like i watched mall oh, yeah. a lot and like oh yeah he was he was on like the forefront of something in the 90s with like nerd culture that like you know has has blossomed into this bigger thing than he ever like you know anyway my point is i'm not gonna recap his video the point is is that like uh he handles everything very fairly like yeah. Uh, when I watched that Kevin Smith video, I was like bracing for him to just like nonstop takedowns, you know, that like sensationalized YouTube stuff happens to to be. Um, and it just wasn't that. It was like half celebration, half things that like he's disappointed by and extremely fair. Yeah, yeah. I think I think he has um I'll, I'll mention like another video I liked uh and, and apparently it was like because he kept on you know, he mentions it a lot in the video. It was like a Patreon goal thing where he did this video about Zack Snyder uh, that he mm-hmm. had put out around the time that like the Snyder cut was released. And I, I really have no interest in Zack Snyder and his, his assessment of uh, Zack Snyder as a filmmaker was kind of always my perception of Zack Snyder as a filmmaker, which is, and I think this is fair too, um, which is that like Zack Snyder doesn't really have like, as far as I can tell, like a worldview or at least a worldview that he wants to push in his movies. It's just that like he likes shit that looks cool and he's actually pretty pretty good at like designing things and like scenes that like kind of look cool. And then like everything else falls kind of flat, kind of like in in the uh, last pod, what we were saying about Jim Ballant. It's like, you know, is his like dialogue scenes and stuff like aren't going to like you're like you know but then like you have this cool slow motion scene or like this cool action scene or like right right you know and you're like yeah that's impactful and you feel it's 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 funny that you say that because like i saw batman v superman 
and you know everybody memes on the on the Martha thing, but there's like there's a moment that I can remember in like the last fight where uh Batman grapples to um like a, a wall higher up and then like snaps to it really quickly and then grapples away and there's like lightning in the background and it like <laughs> it's so fucking cool Jason like it visually I was like holy shit like yeah I, it like floored me it's burned into my brain and it's probably like a half a second of like film you know but yeah. like but like that's burned into my brain more than anything else in the entire thing. And I have like no idea. I like, I've forgotten what the story is, but like, I'm like that lightning shot with Batman fucking ripped. And, and I, that is Zack Snyder. Yeah. And and I think, I think the thing that like, I think one of the things, one of the reasons why I've been mainlining this guy's uh, videos a lot is that like something that I miss and that I used to love about uh, criticism you know, just about anything, uh, like, you know, like classic, like comics journal stuff, even though they were known to be kind of mean sometimes, but like, you know, I, I really enjoy someone like honestly evaluating, uh, a piece of art, you know, whether they like it or not, you know, yeah. even if they're giving it like technically a quote unquote bad review, but if they're at least honest about, well, here's why I think this didn't work or where this missed the mark, you know, I, I think that's like missing a lot because like I think there's either these reviews that are just I don't know you know Rotten Tomatoes has just like killed everything yeah you, you know yeah. N- numbered like rankings have just like you know it's like you can't ever have any kind of like you know nuance or like you know like somebody always has to have a like oh, but give it to me on a scale. What's the tomato meter say? It's like, I I don't know, man. Like maybe, maybe you'll actually like this because for as many times when I, when I still used to read them a lot, but like for as many times as I would read like a Pitchfork review and it would be like this like, you know, lukewarm review of a new album of a band that I was excited about and I would still get the album and I'd be like, person doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Or sometimes yeah. I'd be like, oh, that, that, or sometimes I'd be like, yeah, I see what that person's saying, but like, I kind of don't agree with it, you know, it's, and so, it, but like, I, I really miss that convert, that like easy, casual conversation that you can have. Yeah. It, you don't need to tear someone down if you don't like their work, but you can just explain like, well, here's why I don't like it, you yeah. know, or here's why it doesn't work for me. Like whatever, you know, however. You well, you're talking about like constructive criticism versus just like cutting people down or trying to sensationalize and yeah i think you're right i think that a lot of our culture currently is like trying to say the most outrageous thing they possibly can uh in either in either direction positive or negative and like that's the stuff that gets amplified um one thing i will say is that it's funny that you mentioned it as like a conversation because our good friend ziggy he uh he was saying that he's like, I cannot watch reviewers anymore because they keep like asserting that they understand the context of a piece of art or something that like there's no wiggle room left for like, this is what I think rather than being like, this is what is kind of thing. 
and he's yeah he, he's like it, it just drives me nuts and and he's like because they don't fucking know for sure you know like uh yeah. he brought up um gosh was it a bill and ted's movie bill and ted movie where they uh he has to write a paper on vonnegut and he gets he like gets vonnegut to write the paper on vonnegut <laughs> and the professor is like is like You've totally missed the mark on Vonnegut's work. He's nothing like this, you know, but he's like, he got the fucking person to write it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it's the- that kind of stuff that I feel like when you just watch a video on YouTube and you don't have a conversation that like, it can feel like that because it's just somebody telling you exactly what they think and presenting it as fact. And I think that a video that has nuance or a podcast that has nuance is more valuable than that because it's always going to be, the nuance is always going to be more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also like, there's this like weird thing too, where like, I think people have like, I don't know, like, I I think maybe some people don't grow out of it and I've like mentioned it before, but like sort of like, I don't really care that much, but I really just don't like the term graphic novel, you know? And one of the reasons why I don't like the term graphic novel is because to me, it's like trying to dress up comic books for like a different audience. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I hate that shit. And and I'm like, no, you know what? Fuck that. I don't want someone like I don't need anybody else's like I always hate it whenever people think that like getting a comic book made into a movie or a TV show somehow legitimizes it. You know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, just let the thing be the thing. yeah, let let the thing be the thing. And like, why are you like, don't care so much about if other people um, are saying it's good or not or like giving it like prestige because Spe- speaking of Kevin Smith, like he's he's it's a meme now of him, like, <laughs> like taking an extremely close selfie of him crying because he watched a Star Wars movie. And it's like, fucking hey, dude, like, you don't have to convince me that like Star Wars is art via your tears. Like, I don't give a shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and 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 the Vonnegut thing, I, I always like to invoke Vonnegut in this and like yeah, Kurt Vonnegut talks about it in like various essays and he's like, and he's like, yeah, I was just like a sci-fi writer until a bunch of literary critics decided I wrote literature. He's like, I still don't know what the difference is. <laughs> yeah, you know? what's the difference? And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's just like, yeah, he was just this like hack until like someone was like, oh, it's more than sci-fi, you know, like whenever anyone does that shit, you know, like disrespecting a genre or whatever of like, oh, well, this is this transcends sci-fi. It's like, oh, fuck you. Like it does not yeah. like it's yeah yeah, yeah. You, you know so like I, I think i think overall that's the other thing but yeah um just to bring it back um patrick patrick willem is uh he he uh he also has this great um my uh, my other two favorites of i, I just want to bring up because th- these are just so bonkers to watch but he sort of has this two-parter of um how uh yeah of the first video is what's the most eighties movie ever made. And then <laughs> the companion sort of second video to that is about, uh, the movie that killed eighties movies, which was days of thunder. And 
there it's it's just such a wild time it's such a like if if you don't know anything about that like time in hollywood you know about how those movies like top gun and flash dance and like all of that stuff got made it's it's really it's really fascinating and it's just again just wild it's like wild that these people existed and weren't arrested <laughs> you know so i know that we're talking about youtube we're talking about youtube talking about movies yeah but jason should we just go to the movies real quick yeah let's go to the movies okay this is uh at the movies with siskel and ebert and jay oh shit i fucked it up this is <laughs> jason told me he was like i want to see you do this <laughs> this is at the movies with Siskel and Ebert and Jason and Nick, but Siskel and Ebert are not here. Please don't sue us. <laughs> Jason, you texted me and you were like, yo, just to give you a heads up, there's a Parker Posey collection on the Criterion channel. They're going to want to get yeah. on that. And I was like, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> Hell yes. So uh, what did you what did you watch out of that collection? I uh, I most recently watched a uh, Party Girl, but a while back I had rewatched. I had seen it years ago. Um, uh, Day Trippers. So I actually watched. Uh, both, I watched. Both of, uh, I think. What? Yeah, I watched both those movies as well. Um, I also watched yeah. uh, like the first half of Kicking and Screaming, which is not on the Parker Posey collection. And mm. I think it's not on the collection because she has it's like kind of an ensemble cast and she kind of has a bit part in it. Um, uh, OK, but somebody uh, on a on a discord said that, like, the four pillars of Parker Posey are party girl, uh, day trippers, uh, kicking and screaming and um, house of yes. That's it. Yeah, I was going to say my a friend of mine, because I, I was talking about it today. With, with with some friends where like there's like gonna be some like probably like bad football on on saturday and i was like well you know there's more more parker posey movies i want to get to and she was like oh i fucking love house of yes and i'm like yeah All right yeah so that'll be the next one. uh we tried we tried kicking and screaming and shannon just could not get into it and one of the things that i've started to realize is uh 90s indie films are like all about fucking vibes man like there is oh yeah they are playing it fast and loose with like velocity through the movie they're just like yeah <laughs> whatever we'll get to the end of this i don't know whatever you know it's more about hanging out having a good time like going to a party like doing a thing you know like creating like a a, a vibe and a mood and a feeling and you know, capitalizing yeah. on that and moving it in a direction more than it is about like, I don't know, the a a giant plot that like reveals itself in the last the last conclusion. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the last half hour, and they realize, oh shit, we're supposed to have something called character development. Okay, I guess right, we have right. to have uh, an arc. We gotta we gotta wrap this thing up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah I watched uh I watched those Parker Posey movies, and then I was like man, are 90s movies all vibes? And so I watched um, Bottle Rocket and Clerks. Oh, fuck yeah. 
dude, I haven't seen Bottle Rocket in forever. I used to, I've seen that a bunch. I fucking love yeah, Bottle seen, Rocket. I mean, I've seen both movies too. so, so often. I've seen them so many times, but uh, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of like dig into like, is this a Parker Posey thing or is this mm. like 90s independent cinema, you know? Mm. And I think it's 90s yeah. independent cinema. It's just mm. like the way that people, indie filmmakers were making movies where like they wanted to, the things that they were seeing on the screen from like major motion pictures didn't reflect their lives very well. And it's a lot of young people being like, well, fuck this. I'm going to make movies. And then making something that like kind of reflects who they are or like what they, what they are missing from the, from going to the movies. I feel like, uh, I really enjoyed all of these movies. Maybe, maybe clerks hasn't aged super well, but, uh, but like when I, when I was watching party girl, this kind of like hit me about like these nineties vibes. And I texted you and I was like, party girl is just clerks for girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, no, like, I kind of stick by. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's a pretty, like, I think that's a fair, uh, a fair sort of like a uh, punchy line for it, you know? Cause uh, do you want to explain what uh party girl's about real quick? Just very quickly. Uh, Party Girl is uh, Parker Posey uh, plays this girl who essentially all she does is like, you know, we, we meet her as she gets busted for doing what her job is, which is uh, throwing and organizing like illegal parties, you know, and she gets like yeah. shut down by the cops. And so she's like, tries to just, she ends up trying to like kind of change herself like for the better because she's just this like kind of like waste and like doesn't have ambition and you know just doesn't know like what she wants out of life it feels like she changes herself for the better but not because she wanted to change herself for the better it's just like yeah aging happens to you whether you want it or not yeah yeah and and there are like um there's just like yeah a, lo a lot of fun moments with the character the, the character is essentially a fuck up who like learns how to fuck up a little less and, you know, yep. becomes, becomes a library. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A you lot know. of this, a lot of this movie hangs on her being intimidated by the Dewey decimal system and then overcoming it, <laughs> which is yeah. fucking great. <laughs> well, and, and it is such a like, and, and they say it in the synapses, but it is very clear when you watch it too. Like what, what I, I what I loved the most about it was that it was clearly made by, and I think probably every single actor in that movie, especially given the age that they were and where they were living at the time, were so a part of New York club culture in the early oh, mid nineties. Absolutely, and uh, and it yeah, it just has that yeah, it has that vibe to it yeah, where it yeah. feels like like it takes you into these clubs but everything also feels like a shithole because it's like 1994 <laughs> or whatever. And like New York city has not cleaned itself up. There's no M&M store yet. The porn theaters are still kind of there. It's like that weird yeah. in between time. Yeah. So it's like this, cause there's an urge when you make a movie like this that I feel like to like glamorize it, you know, and they don't do that at all. 
I don't I think it's oh, yeah. partially because like they don't want to and partially because they just don't have the budget. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say they 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 I think I'm, I was thinking about it. I'm like they probably only had two real locations like her like different apartments and you know were probably all the same location because it was just like a big room mostly yeah, and they a just a lot like, of stuff is empty warehouses and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is and uh, Liv Schreiber's doing an English accent for some reason. For some reason. It doesn't make it a baby Liv Schreiber doing an English accent for no yeah. reason. Yeah. Uh, I was reading some interviews with Parker Posey and she was talking about, you know, she's older now. She's older than us. Um, about how she feels like the sense of community in New York City has has kind of disappeared and that when she was making movies like party girl and day trippers that are like so heavily set in new york city in the 90s that like people would just pitch in it was like a community of actors and filmmakers and stuff and it's like oh i need to shoot this thing and i'm i need 10 people just to like fill a crowd like people would volunteer and like come together in a way that like she describes as not happening anymore and i don't know if that's like, I don't want to listen. I don't want to get on the podcast and call Parker Posey a liar, but <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, I think that maybe she just aged out of that sense of community that you have in your 20s. That might be part of it. But I think the other part is also just cell phones and the degradation of community in general. Maybe yeah. maybe both things are playing into it a little bit. And, you know, yeah. she's a bigger, more well-respected star than she was when she was in Party Girl. And so it's like, well, I don't know. Like, maybe you're just not not seeing the community because you're making money and you don't need you like you've moved on, like as far as your career goes, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and it is like, it is much smaller now. I mean, I do think though that like, there's a lot to be said for like, just how expensive it is because it used to be that if you were a young artist up until about the early nineties, you could move yeah. to a city like New York or like LA and like, you could get a shitty job and a shitty apartment, but like, it would at least be like a job in an apartment that you would yeah. still have time to like go on auditions or paint or draw or do, do whatever it is you were going to do. But like. Nowadays, now it's if you just, go to, yeah, yeah, it's you just have hard. To, yeah, but I think the other, I, I think aside from that, though, uh, yet another thing is that, like, be, because of the ease of access for things, mm -hmm. it's yeah. just, it's the, it's the deluge of, of stuff that's out there, you know, and I was thinking about it the other day and, and how, like, you know, on the one hand, it's great that you have access to all these things. But then on yeah. the other hand, I think it's why people so easily are just like, all right, fine, whatever Netflix or Hulu puts in front of me, I'll watch. Cause like, I just, there's already a right. million of it anyway. And I don't have the time or inclination to like really search out for like, you know, Oh yeah. I heard yellow jackets is great, but I, I don't know. There's 18 other things that are great too. So like, I, sure, I'm just gonna, sure. I'm just going to watch another season of SVU or whatever else like yellow. By the way, you know. yellow jackets season two. Eh, <laughs> okay. 
but but you know i think i i, I was thinking about that i think because there is you know because because you used to have um much more of like a narrow focus and i think yeah um i sometimes think of art in the way of or at least art as intended for a mass audience in the way that um so sometimes people don't know what they want, right? Even if they think they oh, do. Oh, 100%. 100%, Jason. Are you fucking kidding me? I work in comics. You know what people yeah. think they want in comics? They want newsstands back. They're idiots, like, out there. Yeah. Not, not to be aggressive, but, like, just, like, readers don't know what they want, and then they try things out, and then they figure out what they they're like oh this was really great and it's like yeah would you have requested that probably not but like you enjoyed it so there it is you know yeah and and i always think of uh, it's a weird dance when you're making art for uh an audience to sell because on the one hand it's like you do have to meet the audience halfway but on the other hand you also know that they don't know what they're going to, what they want. Cause they, th- as they aren't creators and so they haven't made anything. So they don't know about the process or they're not like, you know, or they may kind of know, but not really. And it's, it's like, they don't, I'm reminded of like, I've been in a few meetings with like Hollywood people and, and for like projects for comics and stuff like that. And, uh, it's first of all, that's weird. Uh, second of all, <laughs> they nobody ever sets out to make like a bad thing. Like everybody wants to make a good thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Tommy so Wiseau like wanted so, the room to be a very good movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So I, I feel <laughs> like and he made something and it turned into something else and people love it. Would people have ever requested the room? Fuck no. No, but it's like it no. exists and it's this beautiful gem of creativity and incompetence that is molded into this thing by Tommy Wiseau. And and it's great. It's great. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, the, I agree with that. Hard agree. Yeah. The, well, the, the thing the thing I, the, the example I think of in my head is the um, is the early Simpsons episode where Homer meets his long lost brother voiced by Danny DeVito who yeah. owns a car company and is like, you know, has all this money and he tasks Homer, who's just the regular guy with designing a car for the regular yeah, guy. Yeah, and it's a yeah. fucking disaster. It's yeah. a disaster because he has no yeah, it's idea. the cyber he, truck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ex- exactly. And it's like, yeah, it's not it's not to gatekeep. Like I think yeah, I think that's what you were trying to get at, right? It's like it's like not to gatekeep. It's not to say that like oh, only like the most learned yeah. like craftsmen can like no, no. make In whatever. Fact, if you are a fan with a hard opinion about something, fucking show me. Like make the yeah. thing, prove it, you know? Like make the thing you want to see in the world. 100%. But like Sitting on the sidelines criticizing Monday morning quarterbacking like an industry yeah. is like not the way to shape the industry. You got to get in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you got to get you got you got to roll up your sleeves and, you know. Yeah. And and see how it's made. Can I circle back to Parker Posey just for a second? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
So Party Girl is a particularly great release because apparently um, they made it in the 90s. It got a limited VHS release and then it fucking disappeared. And really? it has remained, dis- it has been gone for so long. And the Criterion Collection released Party Girl in a 4K up-res like thing uh, for the first time ever. And, and like beyond the VHS release. So like this movie gained infamy, especially among uh, girls who love this movie because, you know, it's very like female gaze. Like there's, oh, there's yeah. a part, there's a part in a club where it's like a, a black man wearing a speedo and it's just like, we're just going to look at his junk for like 30 seconds. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, like, Party Girl is very female gaze heavy. It's a it's a Parker Posey vehicle. And like, oh, uh, yeah. not only not only is it like portraying the clubs as like, you know, as they were, but it's also like, look at her lifestyle. Isn't she glamorous kind of thing that like if I was if I was a young girl who was like, you know, 12 or 13 or probably like 13, 14. And seeing this, I'd be like, that's that's aspirational, you know? Yeah. So the movie got the like passed around. Be. Right, right. The movie got passed around a lot. And then just recently, I think it was in the last couple of years, Criterion did the 4K Blu-ray re- release. So it's a specific, like, important movie and a celebration. And I do feel like everybody should check out Party Girl because it's a wild movie that's very fun. There is... Um, I caught a YouTube video, I think on Letterboxd, uh, their own YouTube, where they had um, the director and then the person who made and chose all the music that goes into Party Girl reading Letterboxd reviews and like talking Mm -hmm. about it of Party Girl. And uh, there was one bit that I wanted to highlight only because I thought that it was kind of interesting in the way that Party Girl clashes with the culture that's modern is that um so she meets this um kebab guy in uh in party girl he's like a street vendor and she kind of yeah. likes him you know and uh she wants to go on dates with him and there's a part where she's like kind of dancing poorly in her apartment and she's kind of fantasizing about him and it's very clear that like she hires him to work a party in order to create an ambiance, but she doesn't really care about him or him selling his, his ethnic food or anything like that. And it portrays Parker Posey as being very like, I don't know. I don't even know what the term would be, but like appropriating the culture a little bit, like feeling like, like, yeah, yeah. Just insensitive. And someone was complaining about that. And the director was like, yeah, Cause she's insensitive, like, cause she's on a character arc. Like she gets better and sees him by as a person in the end, you know, like, yeah, that's the whole point. (laughs) Like, and I, I just thought that that little bit was worth kind of like talking about because, uh, I feel the same way when like somebody criticizes poison Ivy for removing consent. And I'm like, she is a villain. Like, yeah. Or like, I saw a review for um, a Supernatural episode on uh, IMDb because I'm rating the Supernatural episodes as we watch them. 
so I can create a giant heat map of the best episodes. Anyway, the point is, I'm, I'm a crazy person. <laughs> the point is this, that you they, they were like, they were like one star. Uh, Ruby said uh, the word retarded, which is a terrible word that people should not say in this day and age. But this was, you know, 20 years ago for this episode. And she's a demon. Like she is a the embodiment of evil. Like she yeah. can't say a bad word. It's it's like I, uh, man. It's sometimes the media literacy, like crashing into Twitter brain, just like drives me nuts. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I I I, I read something recently where like, and I guess it's not that shocking, even though it should be because like this was about the boys, and someone was like, you know, um, it was talking about the differences between the comic and, and like the, the, the show and something that I don't know if they'll end up doing in the show, but that I really liked in the comic and like Garth Ennis, when he does satire, it's never subtle. <laughs> you know? No, no, he's a sledgehammer. Yeah. But there are still people who went and I was like reading through different comments and like people were like, yeah. And like in the comic book, at least turns out that like butchers the bad guy and someone else is like, what do you mean? I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. The amount of people who get who who are like, wait, Homelander's the bad guy. It's like, oh, my fucking God. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to yeah. talk to you. But but also like people in the comic book, people reading the comic couldn't understand that, like, they were both awful people, you know, like yeah, Homelander was true. awful. And so, and so was Butcher. Like they're awful in different ways, yeah. you know, but like, yeah, it's, it's just like, it's like, yeah. How do you miss that? Like, yeah, I, I saw one comment, uh, uh, speaking of the boys, which is great. Everyone should watch the boys. I haven't read the comic. I don't know if it's how I know it's very different than the show, but, um, this guy was watching episodes of the boys and his dad walked in and he is like, wait, who's the bad guy? And he was like, Homelander's the bad guy. And he's like, how can he be the bad guy? He has an American flag for a cape. And the son was just like <laughs> baffled. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. It's like that meme of like, oh, you should read an American history book and like someone flipping through. Oh, no. Oh, no. It just gets but, worse. <laughs> yeah, skipping a couple decades. Oh, my God. No. Like. I, I will say uh, this about the about the boys real quick, just real quick. Uh, I I thought it was great and it took me a while to watch it. But like I thought I thought what they captured from the comic book is they did a really good job of like uh, capturing like the, the overall like Garth Ennis-ness of like of the story that they're telling. You know what I mean? Oh, it's like yeah. I mean, a speedster crashes into a person and vaporizes them in like the first episode. It, like yeah, that, if that's yeah. not Garth Ennis, I don't know what it is. Yeah, and and I do appreciate how um how the main character's uh dad the the character Huey how his dad is Simon Pegg because in yeah. the comic book he had Derek Robbins draw Huey as Simon Pegg because Garth oh, Ennis was funny. a huge fan he, he was a big fan of um and it hadn't gotten super popular yet but he was like yeah I loved this movie called Shaun of the Dead. By these people from this TV show <laughs> space that I really liked. And I was like, right, hey, right. Derek, can you make Huey look like Simon Pegg? And like, as soon as like, because you know how, you know, 
things are produced months in advance. And he's like, yeah, as soon as like the first book came out, he's like this like fucking international star now, you know? Right, right. But I, I thought I thought that was really cool that they got him in in the show as you that know, is as cool. a fun little nod. Yeah, Jason, we have been running this thing long. Yeah, we have. I think I think we gotta I think we gotta wrap it up. I I do still want to talk about Parker Posey. We haven't even touched on Day Trippers, and I got I oh, want to watch House of Yes. Trippers. So maybe we'll do maybe we'll do more Parker Posey c- come yeah. next week. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we will. We will. I'm going to watch more Parker Posey movies. Still got to watch Josie and the Pussycats, actually. Yeah, you know what? I kind of want to watch that movie, too. I Hell yeah. I was like, I here's the thing. Okay. No, we're not going to. No, this has already gone long. <laughs>